listening to the Retro Sermons podcast. Find out more at northcolumbuschristians.com slash retro sermons. Rejoice exceedingly in your presence as we continue our investigation with you of God's divine truth. Jesus said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And certainly that's our concern in this and every gospel meeting is the truth of Almighty God. And we trust that you are hungry and thirsty for God's divine truth. We're going to talk for a while tonight upon the subject announced on the chart, God's impartiality or God is no respecter of persons. God's impartiality or God is no respecter of persons. Now there are several scriptures we're going to use for the foundation of this meditation. Now you follow along with me as I read or you listen with reverence and godly fear as I read. In Acts chapter 10, 34 and 35, then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Romans chapter 2 and verse 11, There is no respect of persons with God. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17, If you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work. Now, in the language of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 27 and 25, I believe God that it shall be even as was told me. I believe that God is no respecter of persons because God said so. And we're told in the word of God, God cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness, 2 Peter 3, 9. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23, he is faithful that hath promised. Thus I believe that God is no respecter of persons because God said so and God can't lie. But also, I believe that God is no respecter of persons because God demonstrates or proves that he's no respecter of persons. Now God demands of us, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 21, God demands of us that we prove all things. God says, I want you to prove all things. God demands this of us, and God also proves that he's no respect of persons. In James chapter 2 and verse 18, Show me thy faith without thy works, and I'll show my faith by my works. God says, you demonstrate your faith. Show me your faith by your works. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. John chapter 14, 15, if a man love me, he will keep my commandments also in verse 23. Thus God tells us, you prove all things, you show me. Now then God's going to prove to us and show to us that he's no respect to persons. Before noticing this proof though, let me call attention the several doctrines of men that would make God a respecter of persons. First of all, we have the doctrine of unconditional election. Now, here it is. God, before the foundation of the world was laid, chose a certain few to be saved, without any condition on their part, and the number has been so fixed, certain, and definite that it cannot be added to or taken from, 
and all the rest of mankind is foreordained to be lost, and this number two is so fixed that it cannot be added to or diminished from. You mean to tell me people believe that? Yes, sir, many people believe that. Now look at it. The God before the foundation of the world was laid, he chose a certain few to be saved without any condition on their part. And this number is so fixed and certain and definite, it cannot be added to, and it can't be taken from. That'd make God respect a person, would And all the rest of mankind down here is foreordained to be lost without any condition on their part. And this number two is so definite and certain, it can't be added to or taken from. That would make God respect a person, which he's not. God's not respect a person. Well, somebody says, doesn't the Bible teach somewhere about the doctrine of foreordination? Oh, yes, it teaches that, but not this doctrine. Listen to what the Bible says now. Here's what the Word of God says. Elect, First Peter 1, 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience. Now, God has a part in this, and man has a part in this. This doctrine, it's all on God's part. No conditions on man's part. Man's part. We turn again to Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and 13 beginning. And we are told we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. Now we're chosen by God. How? Through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. God has a part and man has a part. Listen now to the next verse. Whereunto he called you by our gospel. Almighty God has given us the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of God to save. That's God's part. And we, by faith and obedience, accept that we are foreordained to be saved. That's a long ways from this doctrine here, isn't it? Look at it now. God chose these people without any condition on their part. And this number is so fixed and so definite and so certain, it can't be added to or taken from. That make God respect a person, which he's not. You know, one false doctrine leads to another. You know that? Romans chapter 5 and verse 9 tells us that we're justified by the blood of Christ. In John chapter 19, 34, the soldier came and pierced his side, and there came blood and water. Thus Jesus Christ died to save our souls. Now, since these were the only ones who were going to be saved, therefore Jesus died only for this class, we're told. Thus you have the doctrine of limited atonement. One false doctrine leads to another, does it? Limited atonement. If this doctrine be so here, this would have to be so Jesus died only for this class and not this, because these can't be saved. And these are saved, and the only way you can be saved is by the blood of Christ. A false doctrine indeed. John chapter 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved, how many? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him cannot perish, but have everlasting life. God sent his Son into the world, not to condemn the world, the world through him might be saved. 
In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, he is the atonement for our sins. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, we are told that Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, tasted death for every man. How many? Every man. John chapter 1, 29, John the baptizer said, Behold the Lamb of God that take away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ died for everybody, my friends, not this doctrine of limited atonement. But now let's notice how God proves or demonstrates that he's no respecter person. First of all, he demonstrates or proves that he's no respecter person. He counts all under sin and in need of salvation. Look at it now. He counts all under sin and in need of salvation. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. In verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Ecclesiastes 7, 20, there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, we are told the whole world lieth in wickedness. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his words not in us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In verse 8. And so God said, I'll count all under sin and in need of salvation. But notice this. We're not born this way. We're not born little sinners. No, sir. Not born in sin. In Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21, the Word of God tells us, God saw that man's heart was evil from his birth. No, man's heart was evil from his youth. When a person reaches this stage in life called youth, then he's tempted by the devil through the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life. When he yields to this in his youth, he sins. When he sins, there is death or a separation from God. You're not born that way. Now, every boy and girl present tonight who knows what the lust of the flesh is, lust of the eye, and the pride of life, you are responsible to God. I was in a meeting in Oakwood, Texas two years ago. A little fellow about six or seven years of age after service said, Brother Murray, I want to talk to you. I said, all right. Have a seat, son. He said, I want to be baptized. I said, let me sit down. And I sat down and I said, now I want to ask you some questions. Appreciate your interest in this. Do you know what the lust of the flesh is, young man? No, sir, I don't know what that means. You know what the lust of the eye? No, sir. Pride of life? Have no idea. I don't guess I'm ready to be baptized now. He knew that much. Now, boys and girls, if you don't know what this means, you're not responsible. Our son used to go with me in meetings, and he's asked me many times, Daddy, what do you mean when you preach that? And I've told him as many times as he asked me, when you understand that, I hope Daddy can baptize you. He understood that up there at Mount Olive, Alabama, and I baptized him when he was 14. He knew all about that. I didn't have to tell him. Nobody has to tell you what that means when you reach youth. And that's when you become a son. When you are tempted by the lust of flesh, Lost the eye, the pride, and you yield to it, then you become a sinner. Not born that way. James chapter 1, 13 through 15 teaches. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed, 
And when love has conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. Now, sin, 1 John 3, 4, is a transgression of God's law. You don't inherit a transgression. That's an act you commit. You don't inherit that. You commit sin. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, we're told we're all by nature, custom, and practice the children of wrath. Not born that way. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20, we're told the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, and the father, not the son, but the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3, Jesus speaking of little children, telling these people that they must become converted and be like little children to enter the kingdom. Matthew chapter 19, 14, speaking of the kingdom of heaven, of such little children is the kingdom of heaven. Romans chapter 14, 11, 12, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us must give an account of himself to God. I'm not responsible for my parents' sins, and they're not responsible for mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. And God counts all on the sin who are responsible, and they have need of salvation. He's no respect to persons. He proves it. But then again, God said, I'm no respect to persons. I'll prove it to you. Because he desires the salvation of all men, and he has made man a free moral agent, a creature of choice. Now get that. God said, I'll prove to you I'm no respect to persons. I want all men to be saved. I have made man a free moral agent. He's a creature of choice. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, 3, and 4, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who would have all men to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. John chapter 3, 17 again, God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wants everybody saved who's lost. And he has made man a free moral agent. He's a creature of choice too. Now this would say, no, that's not right. Man has no choice in this without any condition on man's part. Not so, the Lord said. I have made everybody a free moral agent, a creature of choice. Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, Paul says, To whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. He goes on to say, God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of teaching, and being then made free from sin, you became the servants of right. Man has a choice in that. Over in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, No man can serve two masters. He'll love the one and hate the other, cling to one, despise the other. He cannot serve God in mammon. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 24, I have called and you have refused. I have stretched out my arms, and no man hath regard. Man has a choice, don't you see? 
Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. But he's not going to knock the door down. You've got to open the door. We used to sing up there at Mount Olive in Fett County, Swing the door of your heart open wide. Let the Savior come in to abide. You've got to do that. You are a free moral agent. You've got to open the door of your heart. Jesus stands and he knocks with the gospel. You must open your heart. Open the door of your minds and let the Lord come in to abide. A free moral agent. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say come and whosoever will let him come. Whosoever will, man is a free moral agent. He's a creature of choice, and I thank God for that, don't you? In John chapter 5 and verse 40, the Lord told these Jews, He says, Ye, look at this now, He says, Ye will not, you will not come to me that you might have life. On the other hand, in Luke chapter 10 and verse 40, Mary hath chosen that good part. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. She chose the Lord Jesus Christ. Man is a free moral agent, a creature of choice. God proves he's no respecter person. But then again, that's not all. God said, I'll prove to you I am no respecter person because he has provided one Redeemer for the entire sinful world, and that one Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll not give one Savior for you and another Savior for somebody else, another Savior for somebody else. I'll give one Redeemer, one Savior for everybody who's lost. I'll prove to you I'm no respecter of persons. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, God commended his love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 18, God made a promise to Abraham. Listen to it now. In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Talking to Abraham now. In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. All the nations. We turn to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16 and we read. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said not unto seeds as of many, but as of one. As of one. And of thy seed, which is Christ. There's just one promised seed, just one Redeemer, one Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 again, Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, tasted death for every man. God said, I'll prove to you, I'm no respecter person. I'll give one Redeemer for everybody. And if you're saved, if I'm saved, we'll all be saved by the same Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, Christ said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. And no man can come to Father but by me. In John chapter 15, 5, Jesus said, Without me ye can do nothing. Peter tells us in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other. This is it. Christ is the only way to be saved. There's only one way to the pearly gates, and that's by the Lord Jesus Christ. God said, I'll prove to you I'm no respecter person. I'll give everybody one redeemer. But then again, 
God proves he's no respecter person. Look at it now. He has provided one system of faith, the gospel of Christ, to convert the whole world and one plan of salvation to save all who accept it. Let that sink in now. God said, I'll prove to you I'm no respecter persons. I'll provide one system of faith for everybody. I'll give one plan of salvation in this one system that'll save everybody who'll accept it. He's no respecter person. In Ephesians chapter 4, 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, there is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one hope, one God and Father of all who's above all throne in your how many faiths? There's just one system of faith. And this, of course, is the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God on the salvation to everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein in the gospel is revealed God's righteousness from faith to faith. From this gospel system that will produce faith, that will save our souls, and then we're to live by that system. Live by faith. Thus in Ephesians chapter 1, 13, Paul talks about the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. Galatians chapter 3, 26, we're all God's children by faith in Christ or by the gospel system given by Christ as we are baptized into Christ. In Psalms chapter 19, 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. He's just given us one system of faith. It's in the gospel right here. It'll convert the world. That's all we need. And in this one system, there's just one plan, too. Just one plan. He didn't give you a plan and me a plan, somebody else another plan. Oh, that's taught today. I recall hearing about this fellow, and he was interested in his soul's salvation. He wanted to be saved, but he makes one mistake. Instead of going to the gospel of Christ where the one plan is revealed, he decided he'd just visit the various churches in town. And it so happens, he goes over here to Mr. A's church, and Mr. A's preaching on the subject, what must I do to be saved? And he says, now, son of friend, if you're here and you want to be saved, we're concerned what the Bible says. And the Bible says, over in Acts chapter 16 and 31, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thou have just believe right there where you are, and you'll be saved. The Bible says, believe. That's the game of the Bible. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and I shall be saved. Well, I believe I'll go tomorrow night and see what Mr. B, just for curiosity, I'll see what he says. So he goes to Mr. B, and Mr. B's preaching on the same subject, what must I do to be saved? And Mr. B says, now if you want to be saved, well, you've got to come down here to altar, and you've got to pray through. Because you turn over to Acts chapter 2, and Peter told these people in Acts chapter 2, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you come down here and you call upon the Lord's name and he'll save you. Well, he said, now that's not what this brother told me. He's already getting confused. And so he goes over here to another one. He said, I'll go see what he's got to say about it. Goes over here and this fellow's also preaching on salvation. He said, let me tell you, sinner friend, if you're here, if you're a sinner, there's nothing you can do because you're not in the elect class. That first doctrine I just taught, you know, you can forget it. And he reads over there where I read in Ephesians chapter 1 that God before the foundation of the world has chosen us to salvation. Therefore, not a thing you can do. You're just hopeless. 
Well, the fellow throws up his hands and throws down his Bible and said, what's the use? If that's the kind of God I want to serve, I don't want to serve him. He's a God of confusion. Now, of course, all of these doctrines can't be so. In fact, none of them are so. This is a perversion of each one of these passages. Verse 32 says, you know what verse 32 says? This preacher didn't tell him what verse 32 says. He spake unto him the word of the Lord. He told him to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he told him the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord is, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Over here, he wasn't talking about prayer here. He was talking about calling upon the authority. To call upon the name is to call upon the authority. And that's what these people did. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Because Jesus Christ told the apostles, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 18, they'd have the authority to bind and loose. These apostles had the authority to tell people how to be saved. And that's what they told him. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ for remission of sins. Now, of course, Lord exposed this doctrine here. Here's all the fellow had to do is just go to the plan in the book. God's given us a simple plan. It's so plain, it's so simple. Matthew chapter 28, 18 and 19, Go teach all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mark chapter 16, 15 and 16, Go preach the gospel of every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Luke chapter 24, 47, That repentance and remission of sin to be preached in my name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, If thou shalt confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. When you add all of this up, if you want to be saved according to God's plan, you must hear the gospel, believe the gospel, repent of your sins, confess Jesus, and be baptized, and you'll be saved. You mean it's that simple? It's that simple. No wonder Paul talks about the simplicity that's in Christ. All that plain. No wonder Paul said Ephesians five seventeen, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And Ephesians chapter three and verse four, when ye read ye understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Just read it. It's plain and simple. As we mentioned in the beginning, John chapter eight, thirty two, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. God said, I'll prove to you I'm no respecter person. And there never has been a sinner saved since Pentecost A.D. 33 that was not saved by this plan right here. God is no respecter person, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness will do his will. Acceptable of God. He's no respecter person. Well, he didn't give you a plan and me a plan, somebody else a plan of salvation, but that's being taught today and that's not right. They can't all be right. Only one plan that's right. What is that plan? There it is, and you can read it in your own Bible. Maybe like one lady I heard about, this preacher's emphasizing 1 Peter 3.21. She didn't believe baptism had a thing to do with salvation. And the preacher said, why, it's in the Bible that baptism saves you. And he proceeded to go back there and show her in his Bible. She said, it's not in my Bible. I cut it out. Well, now, if you're not going to believe it, might as well cut it out. 
But if you'll just believe this simple plan, everybody can believe it and accept it alike. And let me again repeat, there hasn't been a soul saved since Pentecost, A.D. 33, that was not saved by this plan. And let me add something more, there never will be one saved unless they accept this plan. God's no respect to persons. He's given one plan for everybody. Have you accepted it? But again, God said, I prove to you I'm no respect of persons. I provide one place of salvation and redemption, and that'll be in Christ Jesus or in his body, in his church, in his kingdom. This is where I'm going to place salvation. I'll prove to the world I'm no respecter persons. I want everybody saved. I'll give one plan. When they obey this one plan, I'll put them in one place. Isn't that fine? All right, let's prove it now. Lord said, you prove all things, I'm going to prove it to you. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, In whom, in whom, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 10, I do all things for the elect's sake, that they may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. John chapter 10 and verse 9, I am the door, by me if any man enters in, he shall be saved. Second Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away and all things have been made new. Second Corinthians 1, 20, all the promises of God in him, in Christ are ye. Colossians chapter 2, 9 and 10, in him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, you're complete in Christ. Didn't take but one scripture to prove it, but I've given how many six? There's six, and I could add six more to that. But that ought to be enough. That's where God puts salvation, in Christ. And to be in Christ is to be in the body. As we talked last night, there's only one body, Ephesians 4 4, and the body, first, uh, Ephesians 1 23, is the church, and the church, Colossians 1 18, is the body. In Ephesians 2.16, as we learned last night, we are reconciled to God in one body. Now we are reconciled to God in Christ. Therefore, to be in Christ is to be in the body in the church. Now Jesus Christ is the Savior of the church, Ephesians 5.23, and the Lord added the church, daily those being saved, Acts 2.47, and in Colossians 1.13.14, we have redemption and forgiveness in the kingdom. Therefore, to be in the kingdom is in the church, in the body, in Christ. God said, I'll prove to you I'm no respecter person. I'll give one place for everybody. And when they obey this one plan as revealed in the one gospel, I'll put them in this one place. No respecter person. That's strong proof, isn't it? But then again, God said, I'll prove to you I'm no respecter person. I'll provide one book, the Holy Bible, to guide us through this uneven journey of life. Just one book. Every single one of us is on a journey. Do you know that? We're strangers and we're pilgrims upon this earth, and there is none abiding. Second Chronicles 29.15, there's none abiding. We're just strangers and pilgrims here. We're not here to stay. This world is not my home. It's not your home. In Jeremiah chapter 10.23, it is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. As we're taking a journey... It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps, 
Over in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12, we are told, There's a way that seemeth right unto man, but it leads to death. And so man needs some leadership and guidance. And God said, I'll give everybody one book that will guide you through this uneven journey. All right? Psalm chapter 37, 23, the steps of a good man. Look at it now. He says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his ways. What's that? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his ways. Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not upon thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct thy paths. If you don't know that scripture, why don't you learn it? Oh, that's beautiful. Isn't it? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not upon thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct thy paths. God said, I'll prove to you I'm no respectable. Depend on me, I'll direct your path. Psalm chapter 23 and verse 3. Why, David makes that very clear. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Psalm chapter 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my pathway. In verse 130, the entrance of thy word giveth light, it giveth understanding. The simple. Paul tells us all scripture has been given by the inspiration of God. It'll furnish man completely unto every good work. Everything you need, doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, right, it's all in the book. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertains to life and God's. Thus we are told in Philippians chapter 3, 16, let us all walk by the same rule and mind the same things. I suppose when you brethren decided to build this building, I might have said, I want to come down and help you. We'd be glad to have you. Bring you implements, tools, and come on and help us. All right. Now, we're going to use a yardstick. This is going to be our measuring standard. 36 inches make a yard. Well, this fellow said, now, I'm not going to use that. I'm going to make 12 inches a yard. And I'm going to use that. Well, if you ever got that thing built, it'd be a monstrosity, wouldn't it? Somebody using this for a yard and others 12 inches, it'd never work. We know that in life. We have one standard of measurement as far as a yard is concerned. This is it. We have one book to guide us through life. This is it. You can't take this and the Book of Mormon, this and the manuals, this and the prayer books, this and the catechism, it won't work. I preached this up in Arkansas, rather up in Texas, and there were two young fellows sitting back there, and I thought I recognized their looks. You don't always tell these fellas, you young boys with black ties and black pants. And I preached this, and I especially emphasized this because I figured I knew who they were, and I was right. And after services, they said, uh, could we go down and look at your chart? I said, come right on. I was anxious for him to come right on and let's look at the chart. He said, especially one I want to look at. I said, I know which one you're talking about. And I turned to this again. I said, is this it? He said, that's right. He said, you know, I don't believe. I said, I knew you didn't believe that. And that's why I put so much emphasis. I knew you were here. Appreciate your coming. And I knew you didn't believe that. 
you believe that the Book of Mormons is more important than this, don't you? And so we got into a real good discussion, friendly discussion, for about two and a half hours. They came back another night. We spent two and a half more hours, and one of them, the leader, told me, he said, Brother Murray, you've taught me something. And I could tell his faith was shaken. I haven't heard the results. The brethren are supposed to follow up on that, and I'm hoping to hear maybe he's been converted. But we dwelt on this. The reason we don't have unity is because people won't accept this. If you'll accept this, we'll all agree. Let us all walk by the same rule and mind the same thing. You lay aside that book of Mormons. This kind of leader of the group, he said, you know, there's contradiction in the Bible. I said, I want to see one of them. Show me a contradiction in the Word of God. He said, well, I can't think of one right now. But I said, I can show you a lot of contradictions in the Book of Mormon to the Bible. And there are many contradictions. Here's what the Book of Mormon says, and here's what the Bible says. There are many contradictions there. But he couldn't find where the Bible had any contradiction, and there are none. It's a perfect revelation. God said, I'll prove to you I'm no respect of person. I'll give everybody the same book that will lead them through this life. And then last of all, but not least, God said, I'll prove to you I'm no respect of person. He has made two unavoidable appointments for everybody. Everybody's got to die and everybody's got to stand before God in judgment. I don't care who you are, you've got to die and stand before God in judgment. He's no respect of persons. And when you stand before God in judgment, he'll be no respect of persons in judgment. I don't care whether you're a president or whether you're a beggar, whether you're rich or poor, when you stand before God, he'll show no partiality. I don't care who you are. You may be somewhat in this world, but when you stand before God in judgment, you'll just be one of us. And you'll be judged without respect to persons. All of us must die. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 2. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. First Corinthians chapter 15, 22. As in Adam, all die. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. By one man sinned in the world, and so death passed but all, for all have sinned. Hebrews chapter 9, 27. It's appointed unto man wants to die, and after this the judgment. Everybody's got to die. Well, the Bible talks about some being alive when Christ comes. Well, they'll have to die. What is death? It's a separation. You'll have to be separated from this body when the Lord comes. There'll be no... Everybody will have to have a separation. Even if you're alive when he comes, there'll be a separation. That's death. You will have to die. After death cometh the judgment. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God in that day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to what? My gospel. And when you stand there, he'll be no respect of person. If you call upon the Father who without respect of person judges every man according to his works. That's how you're going to be judged. According to his works. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, that's the word of God, and another book was opened, which is of life. And the dead were judged out of those things written in the books according to their works. Ecclesiastes 12, 14, God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or bad. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in our bodies, whether good or bad. That's how you're going to be judged. You sow the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. You sow the spirit, you'll reap life everlasting. Galatians 6, 7, 8. Listen to this now. John chapter 5, 28 through 9. Behold, the hour cometh, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth. And they that have done good to the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. There's how we're going to be judged. If we have done good to the resurrection of life, if we have done evil, the resurrection of damnation. God, no respect to persons in judgment. And I'm so glad of that. With the Lord, the righteous judge shall give to me in that day. He's going to be righteous in his judgment. My friends, we ought to thank God tonight that he's no respect to persons. You know that? You ought to thank God that he's no respect of person. He says he's not, and he proves it. And you can demonstrate and show your appreciation by doing the will of God. First John 2.17, He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Thus you need to come believing, come repenting, come confession now, and be immersed into his kingdom. Come accept him now. That'll put you in some relationship with thee again. That'll save your soul. You accept the plan given by the Lord. There are many people accept this plan. But we turn to John 6, 66. From that time, many of his disciples said, it would have been better not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandments. Thus you need to confess your faults. Ask God to forgive you as you repent, confess, and pray. First John chapter 1 and verse 9. God's no respect of persons. He says so, and he proves it. And that's enough. I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me, and I thank God that he's no respect of persons. Don't you? Show your appreciation by doing his will as we stand together and sing the song that has been announced. Jesus is tenderly calling me home, calling today, calling today. Why from the sunshine of love will thou go farther and farther? Come to him now.